0: So, David, thanks again for taking the time to continue our conversation around policy issues, advocacy, what's happening sort of inside the beltway related to COVID-19 and ASN's policy priorities. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay. Um, And I think probably uh, our members are facing a a lot more difficulty and a lot more challenges than than we might, but uh, I'm doing okay. How about you?
0: I think you said it, um, that by comparison, you know, what our members are experiencing and the challenges that they have every day, it's just remarkable. I think one of the themes, one of the issues I really wanted to discuss with you was kind of how the entire healthcare community is rallying to address this pandemic. Maybe we could start with the virtual Hill Day, the um, Kidney Health Advocacy Day that ASN and the American Association of Kidney Patients held together. Um, recently.
1: Sure. We've had wonderful success, ASN and and AKP, American Association of uh, Kidney Patients, um, doing this. And when you put the kidney patient along with one of our nephrologists, it's like, I mean, it really captures people's discussion and, and imagination.
0: Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think the combination of a clinician and a patient is so effective?
1: Well, it's okay. So the patient is... First of all, the patient um, is a, is a leveler. It's a game changer. Patient is the patient is sitting in front of staffers and members of Congress and saying, "I am from your district, and here's what I here's the challenges I have living as a kidney patient, and I need help and I need policies." And then the the clinician, the doctor, the pharologist sitting there saying, basically, "Here's what we do. Here's how we deal with that. Here's what we need." And the two of them are basically saying from both sides of this. Um, as a patient and the doctor. Uh, this is something that we really do need. And it's very, it is very powerful. It's just, it, it really is powerful. And, and I think physicians should, we've always uh, talked about that, uh, you know, from people who worked on Capitol Hill, physicians carry a lot of weight up there. So this was the eighth one uh, that was done between ASN and AAKP. And it was done a little differently because, well, everything has to be done a little differently right now. Wouldn't you say?
0: I I definitely would. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, I thought maybe we'd spend a few minutes just talking about logistically and organizationally how a virtual Hill Day works and then shift gears. And I'm really curious as to the specific policy asks in the current environment. So why don't we start with how how a virtual Hill Day actually functions?
1: Okay, so um, I know everybody listening has probably been invited to either go to meeting or Zoom, um, you know, get together with family and friends. Um, at some level, this is an extension of that, a bit more organized. And so you had over 40 people participating. And, um, you know, they what they did was, you know, we put them together and you you lump people together who are kind of from a particular state or geographic area. So, the patients and the nephrologist are from the area that that person in Congress is representing, either that congressional district or that state, and so they were able to do that and set up these calls, and they had seventy five of them in a one day period, and they literally just got together, we would uh, get on the call and five minutes or so before the team and kind of you know go through our our all of our details who's going to lead off, who's going to speak, you know what are the main points that we're making. And then the staff come on and um I there was a there was a lot of interest. I I think uh I think they were I mean, because we were talking about things that were really important, but we also were really talking about um the things that were very immediate as well. So I think it was extremely well received.
0: So you'd made the point that, that physicians and other healthcare workers, other health professionals do carry a lot of weight on, on Capitol Hill and I would think One of those reasons is expertise, that as a member or a staff person is thinking about a certain health policy issue, whatever that issue is, having someone either from the clinical perspective or the patient perspective who has familiarity, who has expertise in that, becomes invaluable. And even if there's a disagreement, at least there's a greater understanding of what the nuances say, of an issue is. Can that still happen in a virtual home meeting? If so, how?
1: Oh absolutely it, it really can because it's it the conversation is still real it's still meaningful to these people um and they they really do know um that when they're talking to the, the the doctors um and also the nurses and any of the healthcare professionals they're dealing with people who are on front lines um every day even when there's not a crisis and who really do know exactly how the things they deal they do impact. You know, you've know, got a lot of issues coming through uh, Congress every day, and you've got a limited number of staff, and you're, you're really looking at a lot of different things, and you're not always completely sure how what you did last time affected a group of people or uh, firsthand or how what needs to be done to affect something for the good of a group of people firsthand. And that's exactly what they're doing. They are firsthand telling you, this is what we're experiencing, this is what we're seeing. And that's what everyone said last week. Tell us what's happening in our area on the ground.
0: What were you what were you asking for Congress to do to help um, the, the kidney community, particularly the patients?
1: Well, you know, we just had the third package that was uh, delivered by Congress and signed into law uh, that was designed to help with COVID-19.
0: That's the CARES Act.
1: Yes. I'm sorry, the CARES Act. And um, the, the truth and we talked about that in the last podcast because it opened up the doorway to a lot a lot of expansions particularly in telehealth which i'm going to continue to be like you know espousing just kind of how valuable telehealth is and how you know how it's it's time is coming um and how it can work but so we're coming back around and and saying okay we know you're getting ready to provide your next package they are in the house they're already putting together the fourth package so one of the things that we wanted was um we wanted some funding for niddk and also for innovation and like what we have been doing with kidney x and you can tell people a little bit more about that um but niddk did not receive in additional funds in the last package and and we very much needed
0: it so your first major ask was around funding for um research related to covid-19 and the effect of the kidney particularly niddk and, and obviously asn has decades of support for NIDDK, and is the institute within NIH, which is, is most focused on kidney-related research, recognizing that other institutes also have large programs. And then as part of that, of course, the link to kidney KidneyX, and we'll have a, a separate conversation in the future around you know, some of the opportunities for kidney KidneyX related to um, perhaps prize competitions around COVID-19. So what was your second ask?
1: The second ask was, uh, this one's going to be a little bit more thorny to figure out how to make it come into law. This is a good example of policy that's really well intended, but you've got to figure out how to make it work, which is to provide uh, funding for care partners, either patient advocates, healthcare professionals, or family members. But, you know, particularly as we see the need um, to try to put more people in home for their care, home dialysis. It, it really requires a lot of help, and it's one of the factors about whether some people can actually do this or not uh, in their home. is whether or not they have people to help them. It doesn't mean that you can't do it on your own. It just means it's a bigger challenge. So for the people who are helping, particularly patients who have have come down with COVID-19 and are still doing healthcare at home, that's a real demand uh, for family members or other caregivers. And we, you know, we we pay for those services in general. Um, And and actually, with the unemployment rate going the way that it is going, this would make sense as one of the things to do that's both helpful to the patient's health and to the economy uh, and for workers. So we wanted to see funding that would help pay for the the services that are provided um, by the healthcare partners for people who are particularly working and doing home dialysis.
0: So as you said, that's thornier because it's harder to think about kind of what the policy with the legislative and regulatory levers would be to accomplish that. But I think raising the awareness of to deliver home-based care is going to require a lot of support for the individual from both health professionals, but also particularly family members and others involved in, in that person's life.
1: And and we were going down that road anyway, because we've been talking about the increase, the need for increased home balance rates. In the, in the models that came uh, from the Advancing American Kidney Health Initiative.
0: What was the response? What kind of reaction did you get? What kind of questions?
1: Well, you, you get kind of um, – they're, they're ones that you would expect. It's, it's like that sounds like a really good idea would be an example of a response. How do you do that? Um, you know, where would you put that? Um, because, you know, you can't just – I mean, when you're Congress and you say we're going to – provide funds for, you know, whatever it is, home care or X, Y, or Z, well, you have to put it in somebody's budget. You know, so in this case, it wouldn't be in defense or agriculture, it'd be in health and human services, obviously. But in which section? Um, You know, programs over here are paying for dialysis facilities and other programs are paying for the doctors. So where would you put the funds and how would you, you know, most everything that's paid for by Medicare and Medicaid, that's the result of a billing system, and you don't really have a billing system for these providers, uh, these healthcare providers. But they're important, so they, that raises the question: is perhaps there should I have already well, we, we should have a system that deals with people who function in that way?
0: So, David, the first ask was around support for research in this arena, particularly doing everything we can to support the NIDDK. The second ask was around how do we help people care for themselves at home, particularly the infrastructure of individuals around the home dialysis. What was the third ask in terms of last week's Virtual Hill Day?
1: The third ask is, is, um, might come out of, uh, seem a little bit different, but uh, because it's, the others were funding and directly had to do with research and patients. The third ask was actually having to do with uh, some of the immigration issues, which is to basically say to encourage the Department of State and U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services to extend, uh, expedite, protect any way they can the J-1 and H-1B visas for those physicians, scientists, and so forth who are here and um, for here and they are here legally um, and they are practicing medicine and with those particular. pathways, those particular visas. Well, you know, in the environment we're in, as we've seen with uh, licensing and other issues for uh, for our own members, is that sometimes these visas will be coming to an end or they need to be extended or they need to be, you know, there's various issues that have to happen. Um, We're asking the government to make that happen as smoothly as possible. The last thing we want to do is pull these very useful uh, nephrologists out of uh, circulation and out of the workforce, particularly since so many of, of, of these people often, um, these doctors often end up in rural and underserved areas.
0: So it's really interesting. as I listen to the three issues, the first one around research, particularly the support for NIDDK and kidney KidneyX, is very much nephrology-centric. The second one around the, the support for home-based care is broader. It doesn't apply to every specialty but starts to apply to more um, medical specialties and then you get to this third issue around immigration visa issues and that's something that of course is is across all of medicine and i know organizations like the association of american medical colleges Really, are a lot of their COVID-19 responses around to these issues as well. So it's a really nice progression from, if you will, the specific to the general in terms of our arena. It's really kind of interesting uh, the way you, you work at AKP to identify these three issues.
1: And I think that leads into something else I wanted to discuss with you, if that's okay.
0: Yeah, that's great.
1: Um, you are the president of the Council of Medical Specialist Societies, Sorry, am I correct?
0: Yes, the CMSS, is is the way to think about it is it's basically 45 of the different medical specialties, each has one society that that is is a member of CMSS, and collectively, the organization represents about 800,000 physicians in the United States.
1: And you guys have taken some real leadership stances in the last
0: two weeks,
1: three weeks. Well, in in history, you've done it many times, but... Really, you stepped into the fray when some guidance needed to be provided, I, I would say. Uh, particularly, first off, about social distancing. Am I correct?
0: Yes, it's really interesting because my successor, so the current president-elect is Daryland Moyer, who is the executive vice, vice president and chief executive officer of the American College of Physicians. And so that's you know the largest specialty society in the world. And it includes both general internists, but then all of the different internal medicine specialists, including the hospital. So it's a very broad organization. But Darylin, by training, is an infectious disease specialist. So she's really knowledgeable about the issues around COVID-19 and has been adept at identifying sort of what the next set of challenges could be for the entire community. And then the, the executive vice president and CEO of CMSS is Helen Burston, who's a general internist. And Helen still sees patients at GW, at George Washington University. So she brings just an incredible perspective as an internist, but also someone who's thinking about broader policy issues and their implications to society. So the two of them have been just exceptional at helping to see issues that we as a community should rally around. And it's been relatively easy then to work with the other, you know, ASN and the other 44 members in terms of. You know first social distancing how do we make a statement that says the social distancing rules should be relaxed based on data based on scientific expertise not arbitrary dates which is you know was a discussion I think that is that statement and other comments have helped sort of shift that discussion um, I do worry that's something we may revisit at the end of April and, and how do we have that conversation as a nation especially as we're Struggling a little bit between the balance between what the federal response is and what the state based responses are. So, I think that's going to be an issue that we keep revisiting moving forward. And then last week, um, we issued a statement around personal protective equipment or PPE and made, you know, we tried to align with what the American Medical Association and other ACP and other members of CMSS were saying, but trying to make as strong a statement as possible around we have to do everything we can to protect not only physicians and other health professionals, but everyone that's in the healthcare environment and, and that, that their safety, their health depends on that. But really, as a nation, our response to COVID-19 really depends on both having the proper equipment for the people on the front lines, but then also those of us who are not healthcare professionals what can we do from a level of social distancing and just being responsible citizens to do everything we can to to sort of flatten the curve which has been well documented
1: i want to I'll get back to that in just a minute but i did also want to highlight something else that that i think people uh, listening would probably like to hear point number 4 on the statement last week you said it says point number 4 says physicians and other healthcare professionals should not be at risk of having their employment terminated or be otherwise disciplined for speaking out within the healthcare systems or publicly on conditions and practices related to the care of COVID-19 patients. I mean, that's a that was a big, bold statement, and you guys really didn't mince words there at all.
0: Well, I mean, this country was built on the right to free speech, and I recognize that that institutions have individuals who are responsible for interacting with the press, and that there are challenges in terms of navigating, you know, some of those issues for you know speaking for a healthcare system officially. However, I think every one of us has an obligation to speak up if we see something that's wrong, or we're in a situation that we don't think is safe. And at the, in a minimum, an employer or a healthcare institution needs to guarantee the safety of its workers to the best of its ability. And I think we've seen a lot of appalling behavior um, from some institutions, I, I think we will see more. And if physicians can't stand up and advocate for themselves, both as individuals, but also collectively through their medical specialty society like ASN or through these umbrella groups like CMSS, and there's others, um, that can can represent many different specialties, then I'm not sure why we exist. It seems like at this moment in time, this is our obligation. Well, it seems to me
1: like if you can't speak up for yourself, you're not going to be in very much of a position to speak up for your patients either.
0: Yeah, I think that's really well said. And I think that's, you know, circling back to the Hill Day, I think that's why having clinicians and patients together advocating for the same three goals around research, around support for patients for home-based care, and around integration of visa laws to ensure an adequate workforce is really important. The same way these statements and statements from other sort of entities, their patient organizations or health systems, I, I just think it's really important.
1: I do too. I think you probably have the last word there.
0: Well, I appreciate that, David. Um, I'm still working on my sign-off. I had mentioned I had talked to Barbara Murphy, um, who's an ASN counselor, last week. And I will say that I'm starting to see people in their emails, some combination of stay strong, be safe, remain healthy. And I think that's that's a pretty good signature. So I, I will stop there. But thanks, and I look forward to next week's discussion. Thank you. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified health care provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.